What's going on, everybody? It's Tanner Lee of the Kicking Out Podcast, and I'm here with a name you know, New York Times bestselling author, writer for Inside the Ropes magazine. He's been a TV producer for about every cable network you can think of. Keith Elliott Greenberg is joining us once again. Keith, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tanner. It's a pleasure to be here once again. Yes, we uh, interviewed you last year um, about your book, uh, Too Sweet, Inside the uh, Indie Wrestling Revolution. And now you just came out with a new book, which I got right here in my hands. Just finished it today. Really enjoyed it. Follow the Buzzards, Pro Wrestling in the Age of COVID-19. There's the uh, book for everybody watching on uh, YouTube. And, and I got to say, I love the cover. How did you come up with the title and the cover art? Well, it, it was a while before I came up with the title. And I was making a list of potential titles every time I came across a saying or a, a, a you know, an ex, uh, like a buzzword, you know, an expression that was pertinent to the uh, COVID-19 era. And, you know, it was an era where people were feeling fairly fatal. So when Bray Wyatt invoked the words, uh, follow the buzzards, uh, and I can't even remember the match. It might have been before his WrestleMania 36 match with with John Cena. Uh, I thought, yeah, that kind of feels right, especially at that point. You know, the world was so locked down that you had a WrestleMania that was largely from an empty uh, performance center and pre-recorded. So it's like, yeah, follow the buzzards, like the buzzards are circling overhead. Where is it going to lead us? And at that point, I didn't know where it was all going to lead us because so much was uncertain. And I was writing the book as we went along, which I've never really done before. Yeah, then that I, th- I think the title fits fits the book perfectly. In the in the cover art, I mean, you can tell it's Bray Wyatt without being exactly Bray Wyatt. I should say. Well, it's it's a representation in, that may have been inspired by the Fiend. There you go. It, was the cover art um, designed by the same artist as your previous book? Uh, th- there's a an a graphics company, an art graphics company up in Toronto. Okay. Um, they do a lot of work with ECW press. Okay. And yes, they did th- the last book and uh, the understanding between myself and ECW press and that group was that this is a sequel. And so the covers, if you put them next to one another, they would seem part of the same series. Oh, fantastic. I'll have to do that on my bookshelf. I'll have to put them next to each other so, so yeah. it's part of the same series. Yeah, facing everybody as they walk into your Exactly, apartment. exactly. Yeah. Um, now, one question I had for you about writing this book is how much of a challenge is it to write a book like this that is over a short period of time, covering a short period of time, uh, contrasted to say someone's autobiography, like the Rick Rick Flair autobiography you wrote, um, it's a big challenge. Now Rick Flair was a big challenge because Rick Flair had such a vast career sure. that uh, if if I had written his entire <laughs> wrestling autobiography, it would be about three thousand pages at least. And, you know, Ric Flair would wrestle sometimes twice a day when he was NWA champ. And then I think I might have pushed a lot of viewers away because, you know, nobody wants to, you know, read it. I mean, some people want to read the encyclopedia. I personally (laughs) have co-written two versions of the WWE encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. And even there, there was an emphasis on brevity in certain sections. Um, This but uh, this was very different. Generally, you work on somebody's autobiography and there's an entire timeline that you can create beforehand. Now, I worked off an outline. I always do because I always say the outline is harder than the actual writing. It's organizing the book. If you just wing it and start writing a book, you might find yourself lost in the middle of the forest. Uh, However, we didn't really know where this story was going to end. And I even acknowledged that in the book. Like Mm -hmm. at first I was thinking, well, maybe 
by January 2021, this whole thing will be over. That'd be right. nice and compact. Uh, you know, we have COVID. It's uh, there's a crisis and then a vaccine is developed and then live crowds return. Everything goes back to normal. And now we can ponder the lessons of the story. In this case, things weren't really quite back to normal. Now, January of 2021, we did have vaccines already. Uh, not everyone was vaccinated. And uh, there were not, uh, we were not, there were no, not indoor wrestling shows yet. Uh, uh, well, there were, there were some, like in Japan, New Japan came back, mm -hmm. but they had, um, after a long sabbatical, but they had Wrestle Kingdom instead of, say, 20,000 fans in the building. And I don't know the exact numbers. It was more like 4,500 fans in the building because of social distancing. And the fans were not allowed to cheer because there was a fear of bacteria being spread in the air, even though people were masked. Those are not normal circumstances. That's Those are still pandemic circumstances. And I was juxtaposing what was going on in pro wrestling uh, with what was going on in the wider world. So I'm in London right now. Brexit was one of the things that was going on. We had the American presidential election going on. And so you had Wrestle Kingdom in Japan. And then the next day in Washington, D.C., there was the Capitol insurrection. And it's like, OK, this story is not going away like this. This is a book that's still unfolding. And I acknowledge that in the book. Like, that's what went through my head. So I'm writing it for a little while. Where is this all going? And then I went to WrestleMania. And WrestleMania, there was social distancing uh, imposed. About 30,000 plus of the spectators you saw on TV were actually wooden cutouts in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Again, that's not 100% back where we should be. And, you know, I'm used to WrestleMania with the Japanese fans and the Australian fans and the German fans. And this time it was largely fans from the Northeast, um, you know, or rather the, the, um, the East Coast. Mm -hmm. You know, some had driven down from New York and New Jersey and a lot had driven down. Like there wasn't a lot of, you know, flying that I heard about. And so again, it didn't quite feel like we were back yet. And at a certain stage, I said, I have to draw a line and say, I'm, we're getting to this point. And then, you know, I'm, I'm finishing the book because the publisher wants the book out. And I was getting a little exhausted, just sure. like waiting for the story to end. So uh, you know, by, I start, really the book starts on January 1st, 2020 with a trip I took to AEW. January 1st, 2022, WWE has a pay-per-view or a premier event on New Year's Day and Roman Reigns gets sick and um, they very quickly change the, the main event around and Brock Lesnar emerges with the title and it still sets the table for WrestleMania. And essentially the lesson is the road to WrestleMania continues. COVID may be here forever. Pro wrestling isn't going away. And they're going to have to learn to live together. And that's the lesson of the story, I guess. At least, you know, most people I know are not getting hospitalized and, you know, dying from COVID anymore. Right. So. You know, I, I just flew the UK and uh, people weren't even wearing masks on the plane. Right. So, you know, I was just walking around in London tonight because over here it's about 3 a.m. And, you know, there were people from all over the world walking around. So to me, this feels like the post-COVID era, even if COVID still exists. Right, right. It's something we're just going to have to get used to. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, like you said, it's not going anywhere and pro wrestling is not going anywhere. And, right. and and that was shown in this book. And, and there was so many, even though it, it's hard for me to go back and watch pro wrestling, especially in 2020. 
Um, compared 2021, not so bad when, when we were starting to get some crowds. But 2020, it, it, I, I still can't go back and watch WrestleMania 36, for instance. I, just I, you haven't, know, I, I haven't got having, there yet. I've been having this talk pretty much on every interview. And even when I'm not on the air, like I'm going on Busted Open Radio next mm-hmm. week. And so Dave LaGreca, the host, and I spoke on the phone tonight just to like confirm what date I'll be on and what time it will start and so forth. And then we, and he actually gave me a very nice blurb that's on the back cover of the book. So he's read the book already and he Mm -hmm. told me he's rereading it, which is very nice. Um, And, you know, so we were just chatting about, you know, what's in the book. And he said, I, I just can't watch WrestleMania 36. It's just too, too recent. It's too real. It's too upsetting. And right now, we think of WrestleMania 36 as something that's a, a bummer to watch. And compared right. to wrestling, we know it's unwatchable. But, you know, the, we were wondering, somewhere in the world, there was a kid who was nine or 10 at the time and was a big WWE fan. And that kid is going to be 35 one day. And he's going to say, wow, remember when Braun won the title from Goldberg yeah. at WrestleMania? And I, I got to see Goldberg wrestle, even though he was in his 50s. I got to see that legend. And you remember Drew McIntyre winning the championship after winning the Royal Rumble? And that's going to be the standard this kid applies to all wrestling, just like me being a 63-year-old man, I compare everything to Bruno Sammartino and Jack Briscoe, who I was fortunate to see defend the NWA title when I visited relatives in Florida. And, you know, somebody in their late 30s will compare everything to the Attitude Era. Right. And somebody 10 years older than that will compare everything to the Rock and Wrestling Connection. And, you know, you fall in love with wrestling at a certain age and perhaps 20, 25 years from now, people will look at that WrestleMania and they might enjoy even watching it because it's a snapshot of what pro wrestling was during a very unique time. And I'm hoping that they can read the book and that the book will still have some meaning. Obviously, there will have been lessons learned that we haven't learned yet and hasn't been haven't been included in the book. But I'd like to hope that people will read it and say, eh, this this guy didn't really get it so wrong. No, and I, I think that's a fantastic point you brought up. I, I envisioned myself down the road maybe watching WrestleMania 36 back with my kids. Right. Showing them, hey, look what happened here in 2020. And they'll just be amazed. They'll be amazed. Their jaws will probably hit the floor because hopefully they don't have to go through anything like that in their lifetime. But right. right. I mean, you know, now that now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, you know, I wasn't alive during World War Two. My father was my Mm -hmm. late father was. But, you know, World War Two when my father was serving in the military, baseball went on in America. But all the best players were, you know, in uniform. So you had, that's why you had a one-arm player on the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, I was always very curious about that era because who were these guys who were basically 4F? They were incapable of enlisting in the U.S. military. They were the guys who were playing baseball. And I guess they were playing for the kids who were too young to serve. And, you know, I would imagine that in the early fifties, you know, the the veterans would not have wanted to have seen those games, but certainly there was somebody who was 10 years old at the time that would have been thrilled to see those games again. Right. Yeah. Very good comparison there. Very good comparison. And and that is the beauty of professional wrestling. It kind of, you know, it's been an escape for so many of us for different things throughout our lives and come 2020 when in March, especially when the world came to a halt that was still escape for a lot of us. And even though it was weird and it was hard to get used to watching without crowds or limited crowds, it was still something we could look forward to every week. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, it was a mixture because it was escape Mm -hmm. and it was something 
that was guaranteed and it was something new. And yet at the same time, we couldn't forget that the, uh, what, what was going on in the bigger world. Right. Um, when you are like, if you remember first, they're in the performance center mm. and you can see the empty seats. Right. And then they move the ring closer to the stage. Uh, be, and I remember like an indie guy saying to me, he goes, man, like, uh, you know, we have, we have a bigger, you know, entrance ramp than they do now, longer <laughs> entrance ramp than they do now. But of course he was shut down. He was completely shut down. Like no one's coming to his shows. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, but you were still aware that there was nobody there. And then, you know, the Thunderdome occurred. And I think the Thunderdome, that actually did make me forget that there weren't crowds over there. And I think that, AEW did a very successful job by posting wrestlers, scattering them in the crowd at uh, Daly's Place, which mm. happens to be an amphitheater mm. and owned by the Khan family. And it felt like they were spontaneously reacting to what they saw in the ring. And it did feel like the old studio wrestling broadcasts. So, you know, it did help us escape a little bit more. But invariably people would come down with COVID and we were aware of it. And there were lots of things going on. We had the Black Lives Matter movement going right. on and that found its way into wrestling. You had, you know, um, guys like Keith Lee in the New Day were wearing, um, you know, uh, tributes to uh, African-Americans who were, who died in police confrontations on their gear. And, you know, it, it, it didn't come, you know, so you didn't shut that out. And that's not fun stuff. Like when you bring in real world angles, sometimes it's usually in the spirit of comedy. This was different. And even if you recall, what was it? Retribution. That was all, they were almost like a, a takeoff on Antifa. I mean, it didn't really go anywhere. At first, I was like a little worried about it because mm -hmm. the leader was Mustafa Ali. And I was really hoping that uh, they weren't going to play up his uh, his his ethnicity mm -hmm. and make him into a villain and inspire that type of hate, which they did not. But there was there was definitely an undercurrent there. So, again, those are real world uh, circumstances intruding in wrestling and not necessarily happy stuff that'll make you forget your day-to-day -day life. Right. Very well put. And, and, and I'm glad you put that type of stuff in the book. I thought it was really interesting to read a book that not only was talking about wrestling in 2020, but the big real world events happening from the election to the black lives matter to this, um, um, speaking, speaking out. out. Thank you. Speaking out movement. Yeah. You incorporated all that in the book, and I, I honestly had never read read a wrestling book that tapped into any of that. So I, I thought that was great. Yeah, I mean that's act, and I knew that I would get some negative reaction from that. Look, when I wrote Superstar Billy Graham's autobiography, a friend of mine said, "Why couldn't you just keep it to wrestling? Why'd you have to include so much about his liver transplant?" And so. You know, there are some folks who uh, feel that there's too much in there about what was going on in politics. I read something on Goodreads where someone said, like, why do you have to include Brexit? And um, I get my first review on Amazon and the guy gives me two stars and he goes, the book is infused by Trump hate. I mean, that first of all, I did try to be as objective as possible. And in my real life, I in my full time job, I. You know, I, I work as a journalist and I did try to make it journalistic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if by saying that a man lost the presidential election and was stubbornly insisting that he was still the president, much the way that Bob Backlund would stand outside of Madison Square Garden when Hulk Hogan had won the title and people would say, you're the champ, you're the champ. And he'd go, I still feel like the champ, you know. If if that if that means Trump hate, it, I I wasn't intending to hate anybody. Right. I was just describing the absurdity of it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how I took it.
So I, yeah. I thought you did a great job covering all that. And, 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 and I also like go, going back to um, the Too Sweet book. I like how you uh, still, and, and I know you talked about you've got criticized by having some of the wrestlers that have been involved with the speaking out movement still in that book. I personally like that you kept them in there. Yeah, because it's history. Right. You know, this was the history of the Indies. And, you know, you only get a shot. You know, some people will read Too Sweet and that will be there the only time they really learn about the indie scene. Mm -hmm. And if suddenly I excise Joey Ryan and David Starr from there, I would be doing that history a disservice. Right. And I say this in the in this book, much the way that if I suddenly, you know, if I omitted Chris Benoit's name, from the annals of pro wrestling mm -hmm. uh, in the time where he performed, well, then you'd know a lot less about ECW and WCW and WWE and New Japan because he played a significant role in those promotions. Right. And I didn't want to do that. Right, right. So I thought it made total sense, total sense. Um, so what was the initial plan for this sequel that ended up being Fall of the Buzzers before – COVID hit. What was the plan coming off of Too Sweet? What was what was the plan in your mind? What what were you envisioning for the sequel? Well, when I finished Too Sweet, essentially ends with uh, it's uh, it's Joey Janela, uh, Marco Stunt, Orange Cassidy, and Jungle Boy wrestle at and Bryce Rems Remsburg is actually mm -hmm. here too, the referee. They're at a GCW show, Game Changer Wrestling Show in Asbury Park. And then the four wrestlers get into a car and they're driving down to the, to the first Dynamite. And, you know, that's how it ends. They're driving off to the new era in the indie wrestling revolution. And I thought, I'm not done telling this story. I'm done telling this, you know, chapter of the story. Mm -hmm. And I said to the executive editor, Michael Holmes, that, yeah, I want to do a sequel. And he's like, yeah, you know, calls for a sequel. So, you know, I'd signed a contract and then COVID happened. And, you know, once we realized COVID wasn't just going to be a couple of weeks, because it would have been in the book anyway. Sure. They, I really, this is going to be a different book. Mm -hmm. This is going to be about pro wrestling during the COVID era. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of, waited to decide when the COVID, when it was appropriate to kind of end that story. And, yes. you know, and we agreed on that. Yes. One interesting topic I like that you hit on the book was talking about, of course, how some of the wrestlers, especially the ones on the indies, were getting by during the COVID era, especially the likes of Dan Danhausen. Yeah, Danhausen, it's actually quite an inspiring story mm -hmm. for all the griping about social media. Look, if it wasn't for social media, you and I wouldn't be doing this right now. Correct. Correct. You know, and my oldest kid is transgender and a filmmaker. And so, you know, I feel that Dylan has, you know, social media may have given Dylan life when Dylan was younger. He sure. plugged Dylan into a community. Um, you know, and Danhausen had just recently quit his day job to devote himself to being a prof to being Danhausen, and I didn't know that until I read the book. I, yeah, I mean, and well, I like Danhausen, but I did not know what he had done previously before he turned into a wrestler. Right. So he had given up his his day to day job, and just and he has a family, and uh, now he had to make money, and because he was Danhausen, he used social media, and he had Patreon, and he had Cameo, mm -hmm. and he was able to get people to log in and he did a variety show with other people online. And, you know, no one knew what Dan Housen was going to do. He did improv online. Everything was online and he sold merchandise and he supported himself. And because he had a captive audience, literally a captive audience, everybody was home. If you were a Dan Housen fan, you didn't mind the couple of dollars that were coming out of your pocket to see Dan Housen. Right, right. And now look at him now. He's a full-time member of the AW roster. So yeah. it's a pr pretty pretty great story there. And, and it's wild to think back. A lot of these wrestlers uh, 
have Colt Cabana and the Young Bucks to thank kind of for years prior for kicking off how to kind of um, merge, uh, right. how to monetize, monetize. Thank you. Yeah. 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 How to monetize their indie fame. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one thing I, I really, I really like uh, talking to you about is of course you're a pro wrestling historian. I mean, anything this nostalgia, you, you can talk on it better than about anybody, but you also are a big fan of modern day wrestling. And, you know, a lot of people point that out because they're shocked that a guy in his 60s uh, is a fan and can appreciate modern day wrestling because they're expecting me to say it was better when Dominic DiNucci and Chief <laughs> J. Strongbow were wrestling. And look, in my mind, uh, do I romanticize that time? Of course I do. Sure. Because, you know, it's just like you idealize the first girl you ever had a crush on right. if you were heterosexual or uh -huh. the first guy you ever had a crush on if you're not heterosexual. But, um, you know, the I'm still a wrestling fan and I don't want to be a nostalgia act and I don't want to be an old guy who can only speak about the past. Right. And so, you know, I'm very fortunate to inside the ropes magazine here in the UK because they were created as a newsstand wrestling magazine during the pandemic time when print was supposed to be dead. And certainly people weren't going to be going out to the newsstand and buying wrestling magazines or ordering paper magazines to their home. But they immediately assigned me a monthly column. And so if I'm writing a monthly column for a wrestling magazine, they can't all be stories about George the Animal Steel about and Killer Kowalski, much as I would love to indulge myself in that. And there's room for it sometimes. I think it's important to be aware of what's going on and appreciate what's going on and accept that maybe some of the stuff that you see now is better than it was then. And not all of it, but a lot of it. And, you know, wrestling evolves just yes. like just like w when I was a kid, I never ate sushi because it was alien. <laughs> well, you know, there are certain types of matches that I wasn't accustomed to seeing. Sure. And maybe sometimes if you're a fan, you could benefit from watching some of the modern stuff. Right. Yeah, on the Kicking Out podcast, we're primarily a podcast that talks about AEW, but but we uh, harp and hence praise. The, hence the colors, I'm guessing. Hence, yes, hence the colors. But but we, we say all the time, watch what you want to watch, like what you want to like. There's too much hate out there on the IWC, almost cyberbullying each other and picking on each other because, oh, you only watch AW or you only watch and It's WWE. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah. When I was writing for the WWF magazines, mm -hmm. there was Raw Magazine and SmackDown mag Magazine, and then there was the online department, WWE.com, and I, I wrote for them too. I didn't write for them as much, but there was like this tension between, you know, new media, as it was called then, and publications. It's like, hey, we're all like in the wrestling business, which everyone makes fun of anyway. Like, you know, those guys aren't my arch enemies. Like, we're all writing about wrestling. Right. So, you know, we're all writing about WWE. So, like, we really are on the same team. Mm -hmm. But I think people are tribal by nature. I think but, you're right. You know, I was just at um, Grand Slam um, in Queens mm -hmm. uh, last week. And... Uh, you know, I I wrote a, 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 a I wrote a lengthy article for Inside the Ropes magazine about this. I was actually writing it on the plane coming over to the UK because I, I went to the UK the day after Grand Slam or the night after Grand Slam. And several of the people in the crowd said the same thing that you just said. They said, look, if one guy said to me, if someone put a gun to my head and said, WWE or AEW choose one. He said he'd choose AEW, but no one's putting a gun to his head and saying that. Right. So why can't he appreciate both? Yeah. I, and I, why can't he be happy that the options have seemingly widened for yes. professional wrestlers, the guys who break their bodies, sacrifice their health, you know, compromise their relationships with their own families to entertain us? 
Why shouldn't they have choices, both financial choices and creative choices? And yes. I'm all for that. Yes, beautifully put. That is worded perfectly. And I think as wrestling fans, right now in 2022, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. You can find good wrestling any night of the week. It, it is. And I'm going to say something else when you were asking me about, you know, oh, you're an older guy, but you, you like, uh, you know, modern wrestling. I look at some of my friends and I'll see I'll see some of these guys this weekend because I'm doing a book signing in uh, in Queens I'm, I'm where I grew up. Uh, by the way, I, I when is it when is this uh, going to be up? This interview, um, it'll be up in a couple of days. So okay, uh, probably so, the sixth, okay, probably so, the sixth. so people may may be around. So October thirteenth, Thursday night, October thirteenth. Everybody in the New York City area, you are invited to my release party. It is at Lucky Thirteen, which is known as New York City's only metal bikini bar, and. Um, that is Thursday night, October 13th, starting at 8 p.m. It's my release party, and it's an open invitation. And uh, when they say metal bikini bar, there are several dancers there. I never put my glasses on in front of people, <laughs> but I did talk to the owner, and he said, Leah, Kiska, and Happy are the dancers that you will see on the pole that night. So... You know, let me put them over. They are athletes on that poll. Um, so, and then three day, uh, two days later, on Saturday, October fifteenth, I will be selling. I will be signing books at the Wrestling Universe, which is a great wrestling merchandise store on Francis Lewis Boulevard in a beautiful downtown Flushing, Queens, which is where I come from. I have, uh, you know. A sleeve of, of of Queens tattoos over here, Very cool. and uh, you know I'll be real happy to be there. But getting back to what I was saying, you know I'll see my friends, in particular my friends John Diagardi and Jeff Steinmark, and those guys don't really watch the, the the modern product. You know when when I'm with them, we are talking about Chief J Strongbow and Dominic Danucci and laughing a lot, mm -hmm. and you know there's a lot for us to laugh about and remember remember. But there's a lot of stuff now that those guys would think is fun. Yeah. And, you know, I wish that I could drag those guys to something like Grand Slam or for that matter. Well, John went recently, uh, you know, over the last few years, he did go to a WWE show. But, you know, there's something that, you know, to enjoy in, 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 and not just WWE and AEW. Mm. You know, I, I, I if you read the book, obviously, I'm quite partial to GCW, right. Game Changer Wrestling. And there's promotions all over the world now. You know, I'm in the UK. You know, I was in Glasgow the other day. There's, you know, insane championship wrestling in Glasgow. You know, there's Rev Pro in, in, in London. There's Progress in, in London. There's a WXW in, in Germany. And, you know, there's... In Chicago Heights, there's Warrior Wrestling, right. which is fantastic. And I mentioned in the book, yep. you know, and there's Fist in San Diego. And I'm leaving, you know, Black Label Pro, I'm leaving so much out. You know, I'm leaving so many promotions out. But all of those promotions are out there. And in many of these promotions, you know, you will see top talent. And you will also see people who will be top talent very soon. And we'll be on, you know, regular TV very soon. So, you know, if you love wrestling or ever loved wrestling, give this stuff a chance because, you know, you, you deserve to be entertained like that. Yes, there's something out there for everybody. If, if yeah. you were a pro wrestling fan, are a pro wrestling fan, interested in becoming a pro wrestling fan, there's something out there for you. Right. There, there's something out there for you. Um. And speaking of the pro wrestling world right now in uh, 2022, um, what if you, if you had to, I guess, and I'm kind of backtracking on my on my topic we were just talking, if you had to only pick one promotion to watch, what kind of promotion interests you the most? I don't know. I mean, that's not fair. It, because, it probably isn't. Because, yeah. you know, look, let's look at ECW, okay? okay. 
which everybody, you know, I did. Well, not everybody. Some people think it was, you know, awful and, right. you know, that it took wrestling in a shameful direction. Mm -hmm. But let's look at ECW and assume that ECW's influence was by and large positive. Okay. You know, you had great technical wrestlers. You mm -hmm. had Malenko and Eddie Guerrero going at each other in the middle of the ring. Actually, Dean Malenko will be next to me at the same signing at the wrestling oh, unit be fun. on October 15th. So, um, you know, he'll be signing and I'll be signing, but you know, uh, two different audiences, but maybe the same in some ways, same <laughs> yeah, sensibilities sure. in some ways, but you know, you had these great technical performers in, in ECW. If you just wanted technical wrestling, you know, there was a lot in ECW for that. And then there were crazy, insane death matches. Mm -hmm. You know, you had Mick Foley there and you had Terry Funk there and you had characters like 911 and the Sandman. I mean, there was a little bit of everything. Sure. And Paul Heyman was just trying to keep the ship floating and, you know, couldn't, you know, <laughs> that was a struggle. But he delivered a, a variety. And um, I I don't think we should pigeonhole ourselves That's by fair. saying one promotion, one type of promotion only. That's fair. You know, and now we're fortunate that the talents of female wrestlers are finally acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not uncommon to see women in the main event. And, you know, in the recent, like last night on Raw, you know, I was, you know, the, the main event was uh, leading to Bailey versus Bianca Belair. That was, you know, the tease. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem that long ago when the idea of putting two women in the main event on even a Monday Night Raw mm -hmm. would be something historic. Right. It would be an experiment that maybe uh, wouldn't work. And right. that didn't have, you know, isn't happening now. So, you know, again, if you were watching wrestling in the past, you really missed what WWE labeled, you know, the female, what they call it, the women's revolution or whatever yeah. it was called. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they, for all the hype, it did happen. And now it's accepted. And there are, so, you know, all these really great female athletes out there. And, you know, you're, you're missing something if you, you know, if you're not appreciating them. Absolutely. And I remember watching um, live the Monday Night Raw where Trish Trash and Lita became the first women to main event a Monday Night Raw. Uh, right. And, you know, because of my age and I was working for WWE at the time, you know, the, uh, it doesn't seem that long ago in mm -hmm. my lifetime, even mm -hmm. though it was. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very telling that Lita is the godmother of Trish, uh, one of Trish uh, Stratus's kids, mm -hmm. because that means so much to both of them that they had that experience together. It's, it's deeper than just wrestling. It's never, well, it's only wrestling. It's, you know, it is life. For them, it is life. And that is what they gave to the world. And that is why Trish felt, you know, of all the people on earth, she wanted Lita to be her child's godmother. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and, and you we talk about that, main event Raw, and then a few years ago, WWE had an all-female pay-per-view. Right, right. Which is right. hopefully the first of many to come, hopefully. Right, and and I, I mentioned Shimmer in, mm -hmm. in the book, which is, mm -hmm. you know, an all-women's promotion. And, you know, and again, I mentioned the speaking out movement and, right. um, you know, women's reaction to it. And I hope that, uh, you know, that women felt... You know, there was a lot going on during the COVID era, and I hope that people come away from the book understanding, you know, appreciating that there are great female wrestlers out there. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm and I'm glad the focus is starting to be on females as well as males, because right. at one time it, it wasn't like that. So. Right. Um, and, and you're a guy who's been to many, many wrestling promotions, events over the years. Is there any bucket list item that you still haven't checked off your uh, wrestling fandom that you'd like to get to? Yeah, I'm actually jealous of my friend Walt Schwenk because Walt has been to, he's been to WrestleMania, he's been to Wrestle Kingdom, and he was just at Anniversario 
in Mexico for CMLL. And yeah, those are on my bucket list, Wrestle Kingdom and and, and Anniversario. Okay. And for that matter, Triple Mania. Triple Mania too. In, in Triple A, yeah. Is there any uh, arenas that you haven't been to that you'd sure. like to? I mean, let's see. I have been to Japan. Okay. Um, have I been in the... T- uh, I have not been in the Tokyo Dome. That would be a big one. I was in Yokohama, and I did go to Sumo Hall, which was quite a privilege. And um, yeah, there's the arena, and of course, I'm here. I am. I'm in London right now. It's the arena where Rev Pro does a lot of its shows. Basically, a nightclub. Okay. But I, I'd like to experience that, you know, that atmosphere, just like I was fortunate to experience the atmosphere at that Amer- uh, American Legion Hall where Pro Wrestling Guerrilla performed, uh, you know, in Reseda, California. And uh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of places, you know. There's there's places that, you know, I, I may not have even heard of, but when you meet people from, you know, certain parts of the world, they tell you about just the intensity of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And sure. It's, it's just like people who want to go to every baseball stadium. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I know a lot of people that that's their bucket list. So that whenever I talk to a wrestling fan or somebody who covers wrestling for a living, that's a question I always like to ask because I'm just, just curious what's on everybody's list there. Um, what, one person you mentioned in the book, and I, I want to know how many in, encounters you've had with this gentleman. He's a guy that's front stage right now in the world of AEW, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Uh, I haven't had – a lot of encounters okay. with him. Um, you know, when I was working on the indie wrestling book, I remember we were, I was backstage at an MLW show and we were both in the same room and um, he was standing there and Sammy Gravara was standing there. Mm-hmm. And like they wanted to be interviewed. They were kind of standing there and looking at me, uh-huh. but I was... You know, Brian Pillman Jr. was there and Teddy Hart was there. And, you know, I didn't have, you know, uh, a lot of time. The matches were about to get started. And so I was interviewing, you know, and Tommy Dreamer was there. And, you know, I was going to those guys and I wanted to get to everybody. But then people, I remember Maxwell Jacob Friedman was in the first match and I missed him. I didn't get to talk to him. And so, um, you know, he has done some stuff with Inside the Ropes magazine. Uh, his mother and I were in high school at the same time. Oh, okay. And, and we um, we have one, you know, good mutual friend. I don't remember ever having a conversation with her in high school. Uh, she may have been a year or two younger than me. But there were there were certainly times when we were likely in the same place because my best friend was going out with one of her friends. So small um, world, small world. But I can remember like, you know, going on Facebook and, you know, you're like friends with all these people uh-huh. who went to your high school and like looking at like family photos, you know, people put up these family photos it's like, oh, that's a good-looking family. And it's like, looking a little closer, it's like, is your son MJF? <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. But he he is definitely a guy I have gained so much respect in just because in the world of social media, it's hard to stay in character if that's I what mean, you, you choose to do. I like posted something. It's a Jewish holiday now, uh-huh. or was. I, I'm... I'm you know, I'm, I'm over here and I'm not observant anyway. Um, but, you know, he posted something about it's the Day of Atonement, which is the most austere holiday on the Jewish calendar. And he posts something about it. And then he says, and tune into Dynamite and watch me wrestle a schmuck. And there's a picture of him and Wheeler Yuta, yep. like just... You know, hits it every time. Oh, every time he never misses. I mean, he yeah. is he's gonna be, you know, the 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 money wars of twenty twenty four as he calls it. It's it's gonna be interesting. Right. It's gonna Unless be interesting. They already have some deal, but True. who knows? It's yeah. all it's for us to speculate. Right. I will say this. Um, I don't like to talk about the negatives in wrestling and the mm-hmm. media scrum. Certainly 
is oh, a negative thing that we can't ignore because we all saw it. Oh, and yeah. You can't like take couldn't, it. Couldn't back. believe what we were seeing, but we yeah, all I saw couldn't it. believe what we oh. were seeing. Right. I mean, that's a. I, I mean, I tell this story over and over again. Mm. Like, you know, I was, I, I, I was burnt out. Like, not burnt out. I was happily spent. Is a better way to put mm. it. It was a great weekend. You had mm -hmm. Clash at the Castle. Yep. You had a great NXT show. Yep. And then, you know, all that was a really good show. Mm -hmm. And my neighbor, Lee Gaynor, and I, we took an Uber back home from this. There's a wrestling bar called DDT in Brooklyn, like which I highly recommend, although it's small. So uh, if there's a, a, a big wrestling night, you may not get in. It's very exclusive. I'm not I'm not even joking about that just because they can't fit that many people in there. And uh, it's like the the place where everybody wants to go and watch wrestling and talk wrestling, you know. And, uh, you know, I Lee Gaynor and I are in are in the Uber and we're just babbling about all the wrestling we saw. And we we're tired and we've been drinking. And, uh -huh. uh, sure. you know, I go home and I go to sleep because, you know. I'm not going to watch the media scrum. I'm exhausted. I've been, right. you know, watching wrestling all weekend. And, you know, it's like I'm thinking to myself, well, thank God I don't have a girlfriend because <laughs> all I wanted to do was watch wrestling and I did it. Uh -huh. And I wake up and I, I look, I've, I've told the story before. I just wrote about it in the my Inside the Ropes magazine column. You know, I'm getting messages from my friends in the UK who are, up before I am. And I start watching the media scrum. And at first I'm thinking, oh, big deal. So he's saying CM Punk is saying some stuff about Colt Cabana. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just, I just can't take my eyes off of it. So anyway, that all happened. Certainly it's fair and objective to say it was very embarrassing for yes. AEW. Yes, Tony. it was. Okay. That is not me being opinionated. That is no, me it was. That. 100%. 100%. And, um, you know, then Dynamite occurs a few nights later and MJF comes out and he's starting to make us forget a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the last couple of weeks, you know, MJF has like uh, taken on this like leadership role in pulling AEW up. Not to mm -hmm. say there aren't great talents right there with him who right. been you know, manning the ship the entire time, all these great solid, more than solid hands, these, mm -hmm. you know, other so-called generational talents, mm -hmm. you know, they're all there, but, um, you know, uh, having him back feels like a real uh, spurt of energy. Yeah. Real big deal. And, the, and their shows have been really good these past few weeks. It's kind of yeah. like they've had to reset, in some ways and, yeah, and shift yeah. focus a little bit. Um, and one of those guys that in my opinion could be up for wrestler of the year this year is Chris Jericho. Right. And yes. right now the ring of honor champion as I did not have that on my 2022 bingo. No, card. I, I certainly would not have predicted that, <laughs> but um, how, how do you think the ring of honor acquisition and reintroduction has been going for AEW? Well, so that's a good question. It's uh, like writing about pro wrestling during COVID in the middle of COVID. <laughs> yeah. That story hasn't ended yet. Right. Uh, right. They could end up with a weekly TV show. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Yeah. So it's a work in progress. And mm -hmm. they, we're at the embryonic stages of the Tony Khan era of Ring of Honor. And, you know, let's hope that Ring of Honor isn't buried like traditionally any acquired promotion would be mm -hmm. whether it was Jim Crockett Jr. buying the UWF or Vince McMahon buying, uh, you know, the assets of WCW. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I'm hoping I, I still, I still have faith that, that Tony will do right with it, but Me too. Uh, we, we, we will see how, how that goes. I think, I think he knows that history. He, he knows does. the same history we do. And he appreciates it. He does. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to invest in, in where he's going. And um, I just said Chris Jericho would be up there for uh, one of my. The rest of the year, but, you know, year, but... Well, let's talk about Chris Jericho, because yes. 
it's not just Chris Jericho mm-hmm. that that is uh and he's reinvented himself so right. much. Right. That's what makes him one of the greats. Mm-hmm. But let's also talk about the people who are getting the rub from Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. And let's look at guys like Drew Parker and Matt Menard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, those guys are fabulous. Oh. And having this spotlight on them, you know, these are guys who might have been on dark and elevation. And these are guys I can't take my eyes off. No, of now. they're fantastic. Yeah. 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 Those two, uh, Daniel Garcia. He's Daniel one. Garcia is so great. I... And again, no one can deny that affiliation with right. the Jericho Appreciation Society. Right. Launched Garcia to a level that he wouldn't be right now. Yep. Now, Garcia was always great. Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, you need to have a forum. You need to have a platform. And it's Chris Jericho giving him that platform. It's AEW and it's Chris Jericho who's, you know, you talk about getting the rub. That's getting the rub. Right. You know, and kind of on the flip side, Wheeler Ida is kind of getting the same right. with the Blackpool Combat yeah. Club with the right. likes of William Regal, John Moxley. Yes. Um, and and, and, and uh, Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, very heady company. And now Claudio Castagnoli. Yeah. Yeah. It's very heady company to be in. And I think we all agree Wheeler Uter belongs there. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So, and you were just... Um, you're in the UK right now, like you like you said earlier in an interview, and you just um, did some events with William Regal, am I not mistaken? Yes, I did. And it's funny. Um, yeah, William Regal, Inside the Ropes um, magazine is part of the Inside the Ropes franchise, which was started by Kenny McIntosh, the Scottish guy everyone's seen on YouTube, interviewing <laughs> these legends of the squared circle. And what they will do is they will go to a theater or a nightclub, uh, get a couple of hundred people in there and essentially do a conversation, uh, you know, a back and forth with a legend. And I, I'm going to the RVD Q&A tomorrow. I'm there. To, I'm here to, you know, sign books. Sure. But I did that at two William Regal events earlier this week, one in Glasgow and one in Manchester. And it's funny, like when I went backstage after the Manchester event, Regal said, you know, I looked into the audience and he goes, boy, that guy looks a lot like Keith Greenberg, but why would he be a Manchester? It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, but I'm going to say, listening to William Regal speak, the first night, William Regal essentially delivered what I'd call a seminar. And it was a seminar on what makes a great wrestler and how he came up, how he was trained, how he developed an ethic, how he became what was known in England then as an international wrestler. If you were a promising young wrestler, you went to Germany and you went to France and you went to Mexico and you went to Japan and you worked all over the world and you developed your seasoning and you took something of that style and, you know, and you worked a very believable British strong style, you know, where you could grab somebody and put them in a torture hold and basically practically kill them. Um, So he spoke a lot about that. He spoke a lot about his wrestling philosophy and it was, he spoke for long stretches without anybody interrupting him. And everybody in the audience, you know, was just soaking in each word. The next night, he told funny stories. He told stories about, you know, Ric Flair uh, and him in a car and in a dust storm and Ric Flair getting his white suit filthy and him screaming and his face turning red and, you know, his eyes bulging and his face covered with <laughs> dust. So, you know, they were two very different shows and they were, I could have, you know, I wish there was, I honestly found myself wishing that there was a third night with William Regal because I wanted to see what he presented the next day. Absolutely fascinating, fascinating guy in the wrestling industry. Fascinating. Yeah. And a guy who really is indispensable to the wrestling industry today because of his wealth of experience. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we're talking before about me enjoying the modern product. 
you know, it's in just like I learn from younger people in whatever I'm doing, there is something to be said for experience. And William Regal has that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're both the funny road stories and it had his experience involves um, overcoming addiction problems, at which was, uh, you know, quite a uh, an albatross that uh, professional wrestlers dealt with because sure. of their killer dependency. And, you know, he has all of that, th that varied training. And um, he was a scout for so many years for WWE. And that experience, you know, there are very few like him. And that's why it's we're really fortunate that people like him are still involved in pro wrestling because they can spot, they can take that experience, find, you know, something magical in someone younger and bring those people into the spotlight. Well, and another one of those people that is kind of like that in AEW is Arn Anderson. Hasn't yeah. been on TV near as much no. because of the guy he was a coach of. My personal current favorite pro wrestler, Cody Rhodes, jumped from AEW to WWE back in spring at WrestleMania um, 38, about 37, know. 38, yeah. yes. Um, what were your takes on that? Was that a move that surprises you? And uh, and what what do you think we well, I, with I, Cody I was going forward? surprised because Cody was so identified with AEW. Yes. I mean, the, th the smashing the throne. You know, because if it wasn't for Cody and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, mm -hmm. there wouldn't be an AEW. Right. right. You know, Tony Khan's money aside. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, it was surprising. And it just showed that, you know, nothing is in stone in this world. Yep. It also showed that nobody's stuck. Right. You know, nobody's stuck where they are. And maybe that should be something that's inspiring to everybody. Yeah. You're not stuck where you are. If you want better, go ahead and find better. 100%. 100%. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes when he gets back from his torn torn pec. Because it looked like he, there, he, he was going to be on a fun ride before his injury. So Yeah, I, I we'll think see. it'll be pretty exciting when he comes. I, I, I would assume so. So, yeah. Um, I guess, okay, so we got two sweet. And then we got follow the buzzards. What's next? Well, the, um, you know what? I'm waiting to see. Okay. I, I, you know, I was, I wrote too sweet. Mm -hmm. And then I immediately started researching uh, follow the buzzards because we were in the middle of COVID and, you know, there was no time to waste. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot going on in professional wrestling now. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Vince McMahon has stepped down. Yep. It's the Triple H era, which is a new new page has been turned mm -hmm. in WWE. Honeymoon phase. <laughs> a new phase. Yeah, Thus far, phase. it's very inspiring. Mm -hmm. But we're also in the honeymoon period, much like we were in the early days of AEW. Um, obviously, there will be a reckoning period where people will be online criticizing uh, some of Triple H's decisions. You know, I recently appeared in a documentary an upcoming documentary for wwe and when i was talking to the wwe and one of the wwe employees i asked him how the dressing room was different and he said well vince had his office and the guys would wait outside his office and triple h circulates among the talent but it's inevitable that triple h will I won't have to lock himself in his office at some stage because he'll never have time to do anything because he'll be besieged. And when he does, then there'll be people who'll say, I sat at TV all day and I couldn't even get a conversation with Triple H. Just like there are wrestlers now who say, I didn't get a text back from Tony Khan and I waited and waited all day. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm waiting to see how it all plays out. You know, uh, the last few weeks have been very encouraging for uh, AEW. It seems like uh, Tony Khan has managed to push the scrum to a degree into the background, but there's still a lot that's unresolved. Right. We don't know what's going to happen with, you know, the EVPs in CM Punk. 
And those stories are unfolding. And then there are stories outside of WWE and AEW that are happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't quite know what those stories are yet. So I kind of want to sit back. Um, you know, I have a, a very demanding full-time job. And I've been, you know, I write about wrestling for, uh, you know, Inside the Ropes magazine every month. And I've been lately being called a lot to do, to uh, appear in these document, these largely WWE documentaries mm-hmm. um, on both A&E and the Peacock Network. Mm-hmm. And so I'm observing, and then I'll make the decision about what the next wrestling book will be. But there will be one. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Plenty of options out there. So uh, once, once again, Keith, tell everybody uh, where, where they can uh, meet you coming up here in October and where they can purchase your book. Okay. So uh, on for everybody in the New York City area, I will be at my release party Thursday night, October 13th. Uh, it will be at Lucky 13 in Brooklyn. Uh, if you're, you know, if you look it up, Lucky 13 in Brooklyn, you'll find the location. Festivities will start about 8 p.m. And then two days later, Saturday, October 15th, I will be signing books at the Wrestling Universe in, in Queens. Again, you can look that up. Nineteen, and you can find it online. And when you read it, go online, and you know, uh, feel free to express your opinion on it, or contact me on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You know, tell me what you thought of it. I actually find um, those insights very valuable. Yes, and uh, well, we can't wait to talk with you again in the future once the next book comes out or or the next big project that you do. So uh, thank you again for your time tonight, Keith, and uh, looking forward to talking to you in the future. Same here. Thank you again, Tanner, for having me on.